Hello. Hello. There we are. I don't know why Facebook Messenger's been playing up, but for some reason, through the radio desk, that doesn't work, but Skype does. Go figure. I've got a vendetta against Facebook, so it's, <laughs> they, they just, yeah. everything sucks there <laughs> on that front. You and Facebook aren't real good mates at the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Stupid bots. How are you? Hi there, I'm Steve Joll. This is episode 18 of my podcast series in which we get to celebrate some of the people who influence our hobby every day. The 40K Game Changers. Although, to be fair, not all of the conversation is about 40K. I did make gumbo for them on Friday before I left and they seemed to really like it. So I think that's going to become a tradition. People were like, I was outside the building parking my bike, because it is Denmark, parking my bicycle, and I could smell what you were cooking outside. I'm like, then I'm doing my job, dude. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Today, we meet a man who teaches people how to paint, who's done podcasting, and who ain't a bad player either. And there's this young, up-and-coming punk named Richard Sigler. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he beat me by three battle points. He actually went on to win best overall but just by the way everything else worked out i won best general and i i feel like that's the perfect way to end it before we get started i'd love it if you could go give 40k game changers a like on facebook and if you have a minute maybe do a review of the podcast on whatever platform you get it on that'd be super appreciated oh and by the way registrations are open now for the lvo it's on at the Rio Casino in January of 2022. Get your tickets at frontlinegaming.org. All right, let's get this episode happening. I'm aware that this is, uh, I'm eating into your family time, so uh, we'll just do the intro and we'll get started, yeah? No problem. I got dinner already cooking, so we're good to go. Okay, good stuff. Here we go. Uh, here we are. He was the creator and host of the Best General Podcast. He's the coach of the US WTC team, Team America, heck yeah. And maybe best known as the media director at The Army Painter, one of the great renaissance men of the hobby, Adam Abramowitz. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Appreciate your time. Steve, thanks for having me. I gotta. I just have to admire your accent. It is so <laughs> lovely. Just so lovely. It's funny. We had, I did a tour of the States with a friend of mine, a couple of friends, Kiwi friends, and we stopped in Milwaukee to get ice cream. And uh, we walked into the store and uh, my buddy uh, ordered an ice cream and there was this maybe eight or 10-year-old girl standing right behind us. And she looked at him and said, you talk funny. (laughs) (laughs) No, she said, she's from Milwaukee. She says, you tack funny. You tack funny. They're A's really, really like like hard A's it's yeah 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 anyway uh listen there's a lot of stuff I want to cover with you and most times when I talk to people we really just stick to hobby but I there's a part of your life outside of the hobby I'm really interested in finding out more about we in the past have spoken or you have brought up you did radio at some point yes and and movie making is in your past as well so I'm really keen to find out about those two things maybe start with radio what's your radio history well, it's actually, um, it's, uh, it's funny that you ask, but I went to, I grew up in Philadelphia and, and right before high school, I moved to a small town in Northeast Ohio called Streetsboro, Ohio. Wow. And I, I like, it was a school of about 400 students. It's much bigger now, 
but at the time it was just basically this little town going through a transformation from like a farm town into kind of a, a bustling suburb but they had a, a radio station that had been operational for like 30 some odd years at the school and the the students ran the radio station and but the the craziest thing about it was you know we we would go to concerts we'd get tickets to go to these rock shows and you know, I remember doing an interview with a band called Eve Six, and they're like, "Wait a second, like, how old are you guys?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm 15." And they're like, "What are you? You can't even drive. What are you doing? You're, what do you do?" I'm like, "I'm a DJ at the station. And I'm also the the production manager." And I'm like, "What the heck?" Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we all had a lot of responsibility. It was kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, it was like AV club, but uh, you know, it was a fully functioning radio station and. On top of that, they were working in a television studio, and now they have a, a new school, a new building, and it's it's a state of the art facility. Back then, it, it was not, but that's how I, I got my start. And you know, my my teachers thought I had a knack for it, and I thought I wanted to be a journalist. But what I really wanted to do was make movies, and I went to to college at Ohio State. Or, I'm sorry, I can't believe I messed that up. I went to Ohio University, <laughs> the Ohio oh, University, wow. yeah. not Ohio State. I am not a Buckeye. I am not, no offense, Buckeyes fans, Brad Chester, I love you, yeah, but was, uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not, a, not a huge Buckeyes fan. Um, I'm a, a Bobcat through and through, uh, and they have a very good journalism and video production film department, and uh, we moved out to, me and my friends, we had a production company. We, we won a a film competition for MTVU, which was their, you know, college campus station. We got to pitch a movie to Joel Schumacher and a bunch of other people on Paramount Studios. Wow! And uh, we ended up making the movie. We we raised like one hundred eighty thousand dollars. And during our winter break, uh, we produced the movie. I was actually an extra in it twice. I'm a doctor walking down the uh, aisle, and I'm also the <laughs> The ROTC kid who takes ROTC too seriously, I shaved my head, like, bicked it clean the night before uh, the scene. And, um, yeah, you can watch it. it, it you could still download it somewhere. I, I don't know what where you can, but it's uh, called Relative Obscurity. But the people involved with it have gone on to uh, be the, the, you know, executive, or I'm sorry, the producer for Rogue One. Um, that was John Schwartz, who was the executive producer of that movie. And then... Um, I'm trying to think here who else was involved with it. Devin and Mark went on to shoot a bunch of stuff. The writer ended up just having a movie premiere uh, recently on all streaming platforms. And uh, yeah, yeah. My, all my friends from that group went on and do crazy things. Um, Jordan is Jordan Bloom is the executive producer and showrunner for uh, Marvel's MODOK. And wow. uh, we did a little tie in and I, I painted up a MODOK for him and Patton Oswalt, who's the star of the show. And, with the army painter, but yeah, that's, that's my roots for that. Um, I left Hollywood to kind of go do commercials. I, 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 when I was out there, I really thought doing short form media would be really fun. And, uh, I, I basically did that for uh, a company up in Northern California for a little while. And I ended up back in front of the camera for another company years later. And now I'm, I'm doing it in the hobby industry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's always fascinating to find out what people have done, you know, outside of the the world of 40K because it's, it's, with all due respect to all of my friends in this hobby, it's a relatively narrow focus, right? But Oh, of course it is. Um, and by necessity. Yeah. I mean, we're all kind of, and that's part of the appeal of it. Like it takes us away from the real world. But then finding out what people do in the real world is kind of cool. I love it. 
Oh, it's, I mean, it's one of the things, and if, if anybody has ever listened to my podcast, I think I talk about that at least a couple times, but you have people from all walks of life that play this game. Yeah. You know, you have very successful lawyers, doctors, uh, you know, a lot of people in the military, and then just like, you know, everyday nine to five people like myself and yourself. I mean, well, I know that you're, you're world famous in, in New Zealand, <laughs> you know. No, but, um, no, not at all. Not even, not <laughs> no. even close. But, <laughs> no, I love how. Just quickly, no, no, <laughs> no. But, um, but yeah, you're right. All walks of life and all ages too. It's, it's the funniest thing at a yeah. tournament. I went to a tournament and uh, there's a 17 year old kid standing in front of me, and his last <laughs> name, I'm like, man, you've got the same last name as a guy I went to high school with. He was like my best buddy at high school, but we've fallen out of touch. What's your father's name? No. Turns out, son of. Was, no, yeah, that's crazy. Just, it is. It's amazing. Anyway, it's really cool. Uh, now, I want to. You mentioned Army Painter, and I want to throw this disclaimer in here that Adam works for Army Painter, and uh, we want to get that out of the way now. The episode isn't sponsored, but the work is a huge part of your life and a big part of the hobby, and and therefore Army Painter will get mentioned a bunch of times during this episode. So yeah, um, it's kind of hard not to. Yeah, it really is. It, yeah. When, when you're kind of the spokesperson of the company, it's kind of hard not for it to have it come up, you know? So, so what does that mean? You're the spokesperson for the company. You're the media director. You do uh, painting tutorials in front of camera. Yep. Uh, what is, what is your role encompass? Like everything. It's, it's a lot like media director doesn't really cover it all. But when I, when we first started talking about this position, I was actually, uh, working on this position for another company. And I was uh, very fortunate to meet Bo uh, while working for this other company at a, an industry trade show. And we got on really well. Um, and uh, he sent me an, an email about a year later and was like, hey, uh, are you free? Are you still working for them? And uh, we, we kind of hit it off again. And they, at the Army Painter, they were, their main focus for such a long time was being strong at retail and really trying to provide for, for the retailer. And they, they've been very successful at that. Um, it's a huge part of why the business got to where it was in its first 10 years. And they noticed that they needed to do better at communicating direct to the end consumer, doing things like painting tutorials and, and videos and, and just having conversations on social media, but they didn't know how. Uh, Bo says he's a dinosaur. He's not <laughs> really, but you know, he, he grew up working in, at workshop and in the marketing department at workshop. And Jonas grew up working in sales at workshop and before they left, you know, they, 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 everything was retail and it was very retail oriented and you, you marketed in catalogs and, and magazines, not on Facebook and Instagram. So they brought me in to begin that process and they, it was a big risk for them because, you know, I was the only employee not in Denmark. Um, I was a, you know, a crazy American and, you know, it was this new frontier for them and they, they took a big risk and I think it's, it's paid off. I mean, I don't want to say that, you know, I'm the reason that we've had as much growth and success as we have in the past three years. But um, I think that Bo and Jonas opening up the company and, and beginning to say, hey, we need to, to make some changes and, and in order to grow, we need to grow in different ways. And um, we're certainly doing that. But uh, my role at the company, it's uh, I'm a bit of a hybrid. I work in the marketing department at the time being. I also do a lot of work with sales, so I will go to you know industry trade shows like Gamma, the and uh, you know, some of our distributors trade shows, and I will work directly with retailers. And then I also manage our social media schedule. I work with our marketing team to develop graphics, and we just hired this you know two really talented 
people to kind of work with me on video. So we have Thomas doing more tutorials and he is a far better painter than I will ever be. And then we have Lassa who is a far better videographer than I will ever be. Um, I remember a long time ago, somebody told me like the best thing that you can do as a, an owner of a company or a director or being in a managerial position is hire people to do the things that you do that are better at you than them. And uh, I think that that's continuing to happen within the marketing department and our sales department. We just keep hiring these really talented people and it's, it's just taking the company to a new level. But so I work with marketing. I, I, I do the video tutorials. I do a bit of product design as well. Um, I had a hand in the, the wet palette and our airbrush medium. There's another product coming out that you're going to hear about very soon. Um, and I wish I could say it on air, but I can't. Um, that I think I think is going to rock uh, rock some people's socks. But like we've we're becoming a complete you know paint and uh, accessory company in the hobby industry now with these these new products that we're beginning to add, and that's really cool. I'm aware that this is starting to sound infomercial now, so we're going to yeah, gonna, gonna let's work. talk about something else. <laughs> no, it's, it's just so easy I, for me. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, it's the well, it's the gig, right? It's what you do, and it rolls so naturally. Uh, one thing I do want to be able to get hold of over here is your. Uh, your dry brushes, though. I need some more of those. Oh, the Masterclass dry brushes. The ones that look like makeup brushes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. They're fine goat hair. I will uh, just let me know. I'll find a way to get some out <laughs> there for you. The job takes you to Denmark every now and then, which must be pretty cool. It's kind of opened up the world to yeah. you a little, right? A little bit, yeah. Um, I actually just got back last night. Um and uh, it was cool being over there uh, because I was there back in May and it was still very restricted. But uh, things have opened up quite a bit. And it was really I got to go see a movie with my colleagues. You know, we, we got there Monday night and went and saw Dune. And that was epic. <gasps> it's really good. And I think yeah. I think if you're a fan, you're really going to appreciate it. Nice. Anyway, sorry, we were uh, yes. <laughs> talking about Denmark. Yes, yeah, it's which is yeah. Denmark's one of those places that always ranks real highly in the uh, happiest population scores and most employed people and just doing well in the world yeah and i think it's it's i think there's something to be said about it it's the the work hours that they have over there are you know reasonable and they understand that you know in the winter time it's not the most fun place to be just because of the daylight hours and it's it's kind of wet and dreary um, so when you do have good weather, they, they really take advantage of it. There's a lot of, you know, national holidays and festivals and, <laughs> uh, you know, so, it, and also they just, they put an emphasis on, on, you know, the population's well being. So right. I, I really enjoy it. I, I, I love Denmark. Um, it, you know, I, lo- I actually really like the food. I embrace it. I did make gumbo for them on Friday before I left and they seem to really like it. So I think oh. that's going to become a tradition. But um, standing. Yeah, it was actually quite for people were like, I was outside the building parking my bike because it is Denmark parking my bicycle and I could smell what you were cooking outside. I'm like, then I'm doing my job. dude. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, see, we don't have in New Zealand. We don't have a full appreciation. Probably outside of Louisiana. They don't have a full appreciation of gumbo anywhere in the world. But uh, but no. there's a restaurant not far from my house that is opened by an American southern a guy from the southern part of the States. And they do gumbo at this restaurant, and it's like, man, you know, you know, you've hit hit all the right marks when your local dish is available worldwide at restaurants because that's how good it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it's like chicken tikka masala in, in England and <laughs> yeah. other and, Commonwealth countries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's chicken. So Indians do curry. We have um, Irish do alcohol. There's an Irish bar in every city in the world. And now gumbo <laughs> is taking over the world as well. Um, it should. It's such a good meal. <laughs> isn't it? So now um, the other thing with your, your job is it brings you into contact with some well-known folks like Duncan Rhodes. You and I have spoken about him before. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's the, just the loveliest man in the world. And you have World a bit. To, you have a bit to do with him through the gig through Army Painter. Yeah, um, I mean, right when he kind of announced, I don't know if it was Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. I don't recall um, that he would be. He was going to be leaving Games Workshop. I just said, you know, look, I hope everything's okay, and if there's anything that we can do um, to help, just just let me know. And um, we've been in touch, and I, I've uh, grown really fond of Duncan and his partner Roger, and. Uh, you know, it's nice to have people that understand what you do because, you know, he was basically doing the same gig that I do at, at workshop and uh, share a few tricks of the trade. But no, Duncan is um, an absolutely lovely, lovely human being. And he, he definitely meets up to what, uh, you know, the, the industry and the, 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 the fans, you know, have built him up to be. He lives mm. up to that 100 percent. Right. You know, there's a story and he's. He's kind of asked me not to, to share it publicly, but, you know, uh, he did something for a local gamer here that was uh, really special, something that he didn't need to do. Uh, just really spoke to the class of human being that he is. But, right. yeah, he's, he's an absolutely lovely human being. When we did, uh, we did an episode with Duncan and I asked him, flat out what his favorite brush is now that he doesn't he's not tied to a company he doesn't have oh, to Excalibur <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> he, he said his uh his it's it's one particular brush but it also happens to be an army painter regiment brush yeah which which yep. I will say this and I know that I mean I'm not tied to anyone in particular as well but your regiment brush is my favorite brush that's the one that I that I use for the, almost the whole model can be covered with that brush yeah, and I mean I, that's the same here. It. It's the regiment, and I'll, I'll I'll use the character brush for some smaller details. Yeah. Or if you know, I I happen to paint a lot of checkers. If you know anything about me, I, for some reason I get off on doing it. Yeah, I don't understand um, that. Your shoulder pads with the checkers on for your uh, yeah, what are they I'm called? The Delphi, the fist of Delphi. Yeah, fist of Delphi. Yeah, you you do your research. You you do. You really do your research. <laughs> Pride myself on I'm it, impressed. my friend. So anyway, so look. Um, yeah. Now, what I wanted to ask though was, do you have other uh, other painters, other artists that you admire, that you look up to, that you use as inspiration, either for your tutorials or for you personally for your painting? Oh my gosh! I mean, there's there's so many. You're gonna have to forgive me because uh, some of them I'm gonna remember their names right off the top of my head, and others I I, I won't. But uh, I'm still a little bit jet lagged. Um, there's plenty that we do work with that I really admire. Um, you know, Pete, the war gamer, I'm a huge fan of, I'm a huge fan of Ben over at watch it, paint it. Um, and I'm going to miss a, a lot of others, you know, there's Stefano at miniatures of death, you know, and they're all doing cool things and in their, their own unique ways. Um, and it's not always about being the best painter. It's just their style and, and presenting different, you know, different methods and techniques. And that's what I love because there's, there's, I say this all the time in the tutorials. There's more than one way to paint a model, yeah. um, you know. And uh, but then there's there's other like I'm a huge fan of Sam Lenz. Uh, I love his work, and you know, being a painter, I can see when he's done something that's really simple and he's taken the simple route, but it still looks just like epic. Like he's just 
really incredible painter. He's got a great eye. Um, there's, I mean, there's too many out there and, um, you know, my, that's another part of my job is working with these people, these content creators and, uh, you know, tutorialists that are out there and, you know, I want to grow and, and, and make our way onto their channels as best we can. Sometimes it's not a fit and sometimes it is, but then there's other people out there, you know, there's Leif, uh, over at Devs and Dice. If you're a terrain builder or a D and D player, his videos are just really fun to watch. He takes a really unique approach. So sometimes it's more than just the, the painting. It's it's about the production quality. It's about yeah. the entertainment value. And uh, big fan of his. Big fan of Scott Walter. It's Miniac and his channel. Uh, it, it's it's there's too many for me to name. <laughs> and the the thing is, and you know, you've been very modest about uh, other people who are great painters, and you being inspired by them, but also hiring people who are better than you. But listen, you got this gig because you you can paint a model. Like you've worked as a commission painter, right? Yes, I have. Yeah, I worked for for a number of years as a commission painter, and I I am really happy that I don't do it anymore. <laughs> it, it's it's for some people, it's not for me. Right. Um. But uh, you know, I I yeah, I mean, I've won a few painting awards, but it's army painting. I am. I mean, it's fitting that I'm at the army painter. I've never tried to, you know, go to a crystal brush or golden demon and try and win. I would love to one day. It's like one of those bucket bucket list things. Like, I would love to do the that ride the divide where you ride the U S continental divide on, on your bike from Canada to, to Mexico. Right. And, uh, that's one of them. And the other one is I want to, you know, enter something into a big painting competition. Cause I've never really spent a whole great ordeal of time on a single miniature before. It's usually units, regiments, squadrons, and, and armies at once. Yeah. So I, I pride myself in, in, you know, getting, you know, good results really quickly. And, you know, I, there's, there's, tricks on how to do that and um you know focusing on the the main color or certain aspects of of your army something that ties everything together once you execute that you know it makes everything else a little bit easier you know maybe you can spend a little bit less time painting you know if we're talking marines because i'm a big marine player like spend a little bit less time painting gun pouches and their holsters and belts and things of that nature and we're developing some products that can make painting in those bits a, a lot easier, which is really cool. But that's, you know, the airbrush is a huge part of why I, I get I achieve a, a really nice result at first. Um, and that's why I'm really stoked about the, the air range. I have to apologize. You probably hear my seven-month-old in the was, background yeah. screaming. I was just going to say, are we okay? <laughs> we can hear the new arrival, but are, are we okay to keep chatting? Is that all right? Oh, yeah, of course. It's fine. She's probably yelling at the dog while she's eating dinner. It's uh, her <laughs> right. new favorite thing to do. Yeah, fair enough. Look, we've, I've been there. I've got three kids. I, I remember those days well. Um, <laughs> tutorials are the greatest thing in the world, man. I've learned so they many are. things just from different different artists doing different tutorials about different things. And it's just, it is amazing. The, the downside of tutorials is when I see other people doing a thing, I go, oh, I would like to do it that way. And so I start, yep. and then I've just yep. done this with my wolves. I've kind of s- found out a new technique and gone, can I be bothered repainting like 4,000 points of wolves? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's part of the beauty of, especially like armies like Marines, where it's usually one color. You have updated armor throughout, right? You know, you have your Mark III, your Mark IV, your Primaris, yeah. and yeah. all of that's changing. And, you know, so you get to see the actual transition and the progression and even the paint job. And I love that part. I, I love that you can go back to an army. You know, I, I have probably 8,000 points of, of Fisadelphi, right? Some of them need to be repainted, but that's because they started. They started in a different chapter. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, 
you know, it's, I love seeing the progression and I especially love seeing it in other people's armies, you know, people that have been like Sean Naden, who's been playing Eldar and some form of elves for his entire life. And, you know, you see some of the witches that he's painted 10 years ago and they look a lot different than the witches that he paints yeah. now. And you get yeah. to see that. And I, I, for me, I'm, I think that's really cool. I, uh, I read that you there's one part of the painting that you really enjoy, and I've got to say this is the same for me. So when I read that you love it, I was like, yes. And it is. Uh, you, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, you suggested in this article that maybe not everyone would enjoy this, but I honestly feel like putting that final bit of slop around the edge of the base. You've done your base so and you've satisfying. painted your model, and now you're just doing that. Maybe it's black or whatever color you've decided to go. With just around the bottom of the base to kind of finish it off because that means you're done. I love that. It's a vi- it's a victory lap. It's yeah. literally a victory lap. <laughs> Such a great way of saying it. Yeah, it is really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 so satisfying. There's no you don't have to be precise about it. You just get a big stinking brush, you glob on the paint and and just spin that model in your hands and it's yeah. it's like it's I don't know, it's almost like icing a cake, you know what I mean? Yes. It's there's just something satisfying about it. Yeah. Some people like to go on YouTube and listen to people make weird noises into the microphone. I like to paint bases. <laughs> yeah. Whatever whatever floats your boat, right? That's the thing. <laughs> so let's let's get into your playing career now. You're best known as you mentioned for your Marines, especially I want to say um playing them as Blood Angels. Yeah. Um, that was very early on. But you had some uh, success with NIDs and Steelers and so uh, what's your what's your preference? Where where are you sitting now? So I've actually t- so <laughs> life has been crazy. Where I'm building a house, I've got the baby. Uh, COVID, you know, obviously really put a uh, a little bit of a hamper on on being able to play. And I, after doing the best general, after playing like super competitive, I kind of want to take a step back and start playing more thematic stuff at the moment. Yeah. My favorite army was my Sons of Horus Loyalist army, and they were what inspired the Fist of Delphi. It was that teal color. It was like, what if Garvio Loken existed and, and just like led a, a you know, a uh, loyalist faction of Sons of Horus into modern day 40K? That was kind of the, the idea behind it. And with this Chaos Army, it's kind of like, what if the Luna Wolves were still around? And there's literal wolves in the, like, so it's like tons of flesh hounds, but the flesh hounds are all dire wolves and Phenrisian wolves. And I know that that's sacrilegious. So to all the Space Wolf fans out there, please don't, you know, kneecap me at the next (laughs) event you see me at. But then, you know, Games Workshop, you have to give them credit. They make the most incredible models in the world. Oh, and they released the these fantasy miniatures uh, for, I think, Vampire Counts or something like that. And that's where the new Direwolves came from. But they have Radarock, the the Betrayer or something like that. I don't remember what his name is. And I saw that and I said, I have to put wings on it. I have to give him an axe. And that has to be the Demon Prince for this army. Nice. And then, oh, you know, wow. Bellacore had come out and... Uh, it, it was just an excuse for me to, to paint models I've always wanted to paint in a weird theme that could be fun. And, you know, I'm playing some Chaos Knights and it's it's not it's not meta. It's not good. I'm sure I could win a few games just based on what I've learned over the years. Um, and it still has it still does some of the things that I like to do with an army. You know, I, I like to play in the movement phase. That's kind of my shtick. You know, it's funny. I, I won best general at Warzone with you know a, a stupid list that had six flyers in it and but the reason i won that that 
event and that award at that event was because I had land speeders in my army. You know, it was, it was using those to play tricks and do movement shenanigans and the wolves. I can do that with the the flesh hounds. And I, you know, I love doing that. And, uh, so yeah, it's not going to win any GT or anything like that anytime soon, but I wasn't able to get it painted in time for, uh, the event coming up just because life has been, been crazy so i will probably bring a really sloppy white scars list i don't know white (laughs) i think white scars with with three land speeders in it a repulsor executioner and two storm talons is perfect maybe some centurions too because nobody plays them anymore (laughs) no one will see that coming right that's nope no no blade guard no (laughs) outriders you know nothing crazy maybe a couple smash characters uh just just something stupid Um, <laughs> I remember the very first tournament I went to, I took my Black Templar army. This was, a, I want to say, end of seventh, start of eighth. I can't remember exactly. And um, <laughs> I took a squad of uh, Devastator Centurions, you know, the, the combat ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, every single game I went to, because this is my first tournament, I have no idea what you're supposed to do. I was just picking models I liked the look of. And right. I, I turn up with this list that's worth the right number of points, but I don't know what each thing is supposed to be able to achieve. <laughs> and uh, every single player on the other side of the table would look at my army and see the Centurions and go, huh, wow, <laughs> did not expect to see those there in a Blake Templar army too. That's, hmm. Right. And then, then just what yeah. do they do with that? It's, uh, you know, surprise is good. Yeah, absolutely. My uh, It's my my regular sparring partner and one of my best friends, his name is John Stovall, and he is a diehard Black Templars player. Right. And I met him kind of at the beginning of the best general journey. And he was playing Black Templars. He was starting to play competitively. I wanted to help him out a little bit. And he, he eventually, he played the 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 Jim Vessel, Lanigan, Chaos list for right. a long time. Yeah. And now he's back to Black Templars after ninth was dropped. And when they released the new characters... Uh, just in the past couple of days, I sent him a text message on Facebook and I said, how turned on are you right now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause he's wow. just so excited. It's big. It's, and it's the, I think there's a lot to be said. I've spoken on other podcasts about this. I talked to the Canhammer guys about, um, regrets in 40 K. I had the black Templar army and I, I kind of sold them off and went in another direction. And now yeah. because they were my first love, this is, these are the models yep. that I, I loved the most when I first got into the game. So now I'm building it up again. And yeah, when they released uh, Hellbreak the other day and then Grimaldus, I'm just like, oh man, this is so I, good. It's funny. Yeah. I did I did a uh, show a couple weeks ago and it was in support of uh, the 40 Hours of 40K, which is a yeah. really awesome charity in, in the UK. And I was talking to, I, I think his name is Brandon. I can't think of his last name off the top of my head at the moment. And he used to be a studio painter for Frontline Gaming and we at a commercial break we were talking and my first 40k army was this tau army and that's the, the army that i won the most painting awards with right it was my first completed 40k army and i had to sell it because you know i, I needed the money you know it was it was yeah. just one of those things that you you know when you know financially you're stressed you sell an army it's just what you do it's the easiest thing to do and uh i sold it to frankie <laughs> at frontline really and he says He's like, dude, I've won, more, I've probably won more painting awards with your army, and I'm a commission painter, than than you did. And apparently, it's like the, his army of choice now. He just borrowed it from Frankie, and he goes to to events with it because it's painted and wins painted <laughs> and goes best painted award and goes home. So, good. so at least I know where that army is. Yeah, you know, yeah. 
It's oh, like buying so cool. a piano that you can't fit in your house, and you, so you give it to somebody who can fit it in their house, but you always know that it's there. Yeah, and so. at least it's getting played, right? And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, exactly. Um, so listen, let's talk about the. Uh, you mentioned the best general podcast, uh, and in line with your competitive play, a part of the best general podcast when it first started was this 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 quest to go and win the uh, GT Warzone Atlanta. Right. People would normally be reluctant to say, okay. I came 60th at a thing. I don't like that. I now want to win the thing. That's my quest. I'm going for it. And I feel like you people love vulnerability in broadcasting, and you put yourself out there. You made yourself a little bit vulnerable, and you, you set off to achieve it. So, at its least, it was a podcast about a guy, from, you know, trying to go from like a regular 40K schlub to a, a GT winner, right? Um, and that's that's what it was. But it was also, you know, when I started it, it was kind of an accountability measure for myself because, you know, I was trying to improve in a lot of different aspects of my life. You know, you're, you're going through that weird phase in your late 20s, early 30s, where you're not quite sure what life has in store for you yet. But this was like a, a way for me to continue to improve on myself and use 40K as a medium to do that. And I don't think that when I started, I, I had planned for it to be that way. But just because, you know, like I told you at the beginning of the show, I'm an open book. There's a few things I won't talk about um, unless I literally can't because I'll get fired. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Um, um, you know, so it, it, it did turn into kind of a, uh, a very introspective look at, at, you know, a dude who was trying to improve. And, and you know, there, I definitely had downfalls, you know. And I think that that was relatable for people because, you know, it's not life isn't this perfect journey where everything goes right. I'm sure that there's people out there where where it has gone right for them and, and good for them. But um, for most of us, we we suffer from mistakes or obstacles. And yeah. um, it's, you know, how do you react? How do you overcome them? Do you overcome them? What do you do differently the next time? And I think there's a lot of that in in that show. And I also think that what a lot of people took from it that they liked was that it wasn't just, and I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, um, but when I really look back at it, you know, I get, I got messages from early fans like Colin Sherman and Val Heffelfinger, right? And they've gone on to be some of the most prolific podcasters in 40K. And I don't think that there was quite another 40k podcast out there like that. Yes, there were like there were podcasts that talked about lore and and stuff like that and then there were competitive podcasts, but most everything was talking about what GW was doing and what the new releases were. Right. Um and I think that's what was the initial draw for a lot of people was that this was a very different kind of 40k podcast. And um yeah, it's uh it's like I say you know, at the beginning of every show, if you're if you're new to the podcast, go back and start from the beginning. Like, you know, it's it's something that I still think holds up because I tried. I mean, there's an episode in there where I talk about the Blood Angels release and I just nerd out about it for four hours. Don't listen to that <laughs> one. Skip right over it. Um, it was totally okay. out of form. Uh, but, you know, it's I still think it's a story that holds up and I, I hope it resonates for some people. I think that there's some helpful lessons in there for people and. You know, I, I did my best to I did my best to play the game and, and play it fairly yeah. and continually striving to be the best, you know, the best that you can be at whatever you're doing. You know, substitute tennis, substitute, you know, 
I don't know. Whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, can you put us out of our misery? How did you do at the 2018 Warzone Atlanta? (laughs) Uh, I magically uh, somehow won best general. Yeah, there we go. How about that? Yeah, but this is the craziest thing about it, right? So, you know, anybody that listens, you know, and hasn't listened goes back, there's going to be no surprises. It's not like it's a big teaser. Uh, You know, I didn't just spoil it for you. But um, it was actually really magical how it happened. Um, And, you know, I I got to play Naden, who's, you know, the team captain of Team USA. and, And one of those guys that at the start of that journey, I would never imagine being able to even have a competitive game with him. And it was a really great game. Um, it was really tight. I made some really weird decisions that I probably wouldn't have made, you know, <laughs> a year or two, three years before that moment. And uh, But it was so close at the end. And there was this young up-and-coming punk named Richard Sigler <laughs> and, <laughs> and his Tao. And, um, you know, he, he beat me by three battle points. But the amazing thing was uh, that, the way that the sportsmanship scores broke down and the way that the, the painting scores broke down, he actually went on to win best overall. And I thought that I was a shoe in for best overall because my battle points were about three points below Richards. But just by the way, everything else worked out, even though he won the GT, I won best general. And I, I feel like that's the perfect way to end it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, it's, it's perfect. Given the name of the podcast, it just worked right. out so perfectly, right? Yeah, so good. it was pretty special. But easily, I mean, it's, granted, you can't compare it to the, the birth of my two children, you know, marrying my wife, uh, you know, it doesn't compare. But it, it's right up there and one of the best experiences I've ever had. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so, listen, I'm conscious that I, I've said to you we'd be about 45 minutes and we're already at 45 minutes-ish. So I just want to cover off a couple more things. Is that Okay. Yeah, of course. Another, yes, of course. Another couple of minutes, because we haven't even touched on Team America. You just mentioned it then with Sean Naden. How did you? How did you end up as the coach of Team USA? Wow, um, I actually, I, I've, I've, <laughs> I have a habit of um, getting involved in things and and trying to trying to help people that that sometimes need help or if there's kind of a conflict, I like to try and help people in that conflict. Um, maybe I put my nose where I shouldn't, I'm getting better about doing that. But in this one instance I, I did, and it ended up leading to a conversation, um, where Sean and at the time it was juice, um, Stephen four. And they're like, you know what? We, we haven't decided on a captain yet. We had a couple people in mind, but I think that you would be good at this. And initially I think it was, you know, Sean's whole thing is if you, if you come and you coach for us and you do a good job at coach, then you're guaranteed a spot on the team next year. Wow. Um, so it was kind of like an entry to play at WTC, which to me is, that's more important to me than winning a GT or winning anything. Uh, you know, no offense to the Novas and the LVOs, the Warzone Atlantis out there. Um, you know, being able to play for your country, I know it's just a tabletop game, but like, that's really cool. You know, the Ryder Cup just finished yesterday, and it's one of my favorite sporting events of all time. And watching the U.S. go up against go up against Europe and, and you know, and single crush their souls again—it oh, was wow. ridiculous. Oh, oh my God. gosh, it was ridiculous. Yeah, no offense, I did not expect that. No offense, yeah. by the way, but the rest of the world always cheers for Europe. So uh, I know, but that win by the U.S. This is an aside. Wow, holy moly, mm-hmm. that was crushing. It was. 
there's an added emotional level to what you're doing and, and that you just, you can't, you can't describe it. Um, and you can't really, you can't really understand it until you've experienced it. And coaching for the team in Serbia to going on three years ago now, um, was another absolutely incredible experience. And I actually loved coaching. Um, and you know, before COVID, um, you know, I didn't know if I could commit to being as good of a player as deserved to be on the team. So I told Sean, like, I, I, I don't know that I can be the quality of player that needs to be here. Um, and I, I, I do really enjoy coaching and after doing it once, like, I think I could do it better again. Would you have me as coach again? Um, and he, he said, yeah. So, um, it's, it's an incredible experience. It's, it's such a rush coaching because you're, you know, I, for those that don't know, you know, players on a team cannot communicate with each other. They can only communicate with the captain if he's called and the coach. Right. Um, and you know, when the way that we approach it is, you know, you, you have good matchups, you have bad matchups, but you kind of have a point run of where you think you're going to get points, you know, in order to get a win, just like the Ryder cup, you need 14 and a half points to get that win. You know, you need a certain number of points to actually get a win and not get a tie in these matches and being able to, you know, be in the moment and know, Oh, well, Chester got seized on that changed his, you know, his 18 point victory to maybe a 12 point victory to a eight point loss. And then you have to go and try and find ways across the table and communicate that with other players um, I don't want to say that the coaches is manufacturing the overall wins, but they definitely have to be there to communicate it and understand what's going on and communicate that with the other players so that they know when to kind of step on the gas and take chances in games that you wouldn't normally take in a, in a standard individual GT. Yeah, There was a moment and we, it was the final round, I believe. And we at the last minute pairings got switched because there was a, there's a problem team there, a problem nation every year. And, and of course they had a problem and then it switched, it switched the pairings for virtually everybody at the, you know, at the very last minute. So we were doing pairings for one team and then we had to switch and we had like five minutes to, to do the pairings for this other team. And it wasn't a team that we had prepared for in our practices. And, um, and I, th I think we made some mistakes, but we were definitely like flustered. And then like three of our members got seized on and that just changed the, the overall outcome of the, the game. And I remember Werner and Werner is one of my favorite people in the world. Werner Bourne, he was the coach that preceded me and he did such a good job. So I had huge shoes to, to fill going in there. Um, you know, I just remember having this conversation with him and he's like, well, I, I, I think I have a chance to, to really turn the tables of this game, but it's like a huge risk if it doesn't work out. Um, you know, it doesn't work out and I, I definitely lose. I'm like, you got to do it. Like it's, it's look, do whatever you want, but if you got to get those points and he understood right in that moment that that's what he needed to do in order to try and manufacture this win, it didn't pan out for us, but it's just such a different way to play. And like the, the, adrenaline rush of doing it is absolutely uncomparable to, to anything else in, in the game of the realm of tabletop gaming. I think there's a whole podcast. In fact, there have already been multiple podcasts in, in just yeah. the, the, the wonder of teams events. And honestly, I'm with you playing for your country. And I think this applies to almost anything. Almost. Yeah. Playing for your country is, has got to be the ultimate. Possibly basketball is different because you know, the NBA is 
yeah, the NBA. Just, but uh, you know what I mean, that the, the idea of being able to play for your nation and represent your nation. By the way, the American team logo has got to be the greatest logo. You say what you like about America, but you guys do logos with the flag and the – it's just we, – we, <laughs> You gotta, yeah. It's something about the stars and stripes when it's, done it's right. It's just so like, good. On, on boxer briefs and and <laughs> uh, you know cowboy hats, not so yeah. much. But like on a well done jersey, you know, it, it's it's or uniform, it, it looks really nice. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And you like logos and uh, big events and national fervor. I think you lead the world in all of those <laughs> areas. Um, it's which is look as a Kiwi. And I think the English feel the same. We understate everything. So seeing, like, when we watch the Super Bowl and we see Americans just going crazy, and you you do big events like no one else on the planet, and it's amazing to watch. I don't. This is not a criticism. I'm in awe. Like, it's amazing how you guys do things. I love it. I, I mean, it's you got to look at the population of our country too. I mean, it's we. I think it's taken for granted how how big of a geographically and population wise. Now, granted, we we don't come anywhere close to to China or India, but like. Population wise, landmass wise, we are a huge country. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think that might have something to do with it. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that we, you know, I, I don't, I really don't know. It's, I think when I look at things, uh, the differences between other countries in the United States, you know, we're still, when you look at our development, you know, 200 some odd years on now in this great experiment, like we're still relatively young. And I, when I travel to Denmark, I get this sense that there's this like calm confidence because they've just they've been around for forever. Right. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. They've they, they've suffered invasions and all kinds of stuff. And they, they're just they, they're older. They're calmer. You know, they're not out partying till till three in the morning. They're they're just, you know, all, all that nightcap at 10 o'clock and yeah. we'll call it a day <laughs> where America is like, let's just keep this party going. You know, we're, we're, we're in this like, I don't know, maybe we're just like bridging on our our adolescence right now and that's why right. everything's so crazy but that's i always i always look back and i say we're 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 babies comparatively i have had this conversation so many times and you've you've actually just done exactly my analogy which I, my wife is french so we well, we go to france from time to time and uh, i see the people there and the way the nation behaves and they are mature, like European countries are right. mature. And in fact, France has gone beyond mature now to being a grumpy old person who just gets grumpy yeah, when you get your grammar wrong. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. <laughs> and so they, they, they're at that end. New Zealand is like uh, uh, early teens in the grand yep. scheme of things. We're just kind of finding our feet and maybe making a little mark in certain places. I feel like the States is later teens, angry for no reason sometimes, but pretty spectacular when they get it right. And it's just like... Uh, it's so good. You know, it's just good that we're all at different stages, I guess. If only we'd be able to look at the more mature countries and learn from them in some aspects yeah. would be really great. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I look at like, I look at the Commonwealth nations. Like you look at Canada, you look at New Zealand, you, you look at Australia. It's like they're, they're growing up, but they have this like cool older sister <laughs> that just kind of like they, 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 they like to argue with her a little bit, but that cool older sister is still kind of like, I don't know, a presence in their lives, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we look at her as a cool older sister as much as an oppressive auntie, but that's fine. You know? <laughs> but anyway. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> We're doing our best to distance ourselves from the family at this point. Um, listen, what's, before, we, before you go, what's the, what's the current state of play with, with Team USA and everything that's going on in the WTC, and, and, and how do you see that playing out? We can't predict what COVID's going to do, but... No, do you do you can't. feel like um, next year we're we're getting back into things or what's going to happen? 
I think so. And if I actually had a, a, a chat with Tom Adriani, um, who is, you know, he, he's the head showrunner at WTC. I talked to him last Monday and um, he's confident that we're going to be able to have it this year. If not, he has some backup plans and he's, he's building some assurances for the next three years. I don't know how much I'm at liberty to discuss um, because it is, again, go back to the army painter where the, the trophy sponsor of the event and, um, he always, he's real good about keeping me in the loop. Um, but I, I it's in good hands with Tom and it's, it's really up to what's going to happen with the rest of the world. And, uh, Sean, you know, for us, it's, it's very difficult for the United States because it's such a long way to go, no matter where we go. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a train ride for us and, you know, it's, it's hard. So it really, we have to feel safe that it's going to happen. It's going to be, ha- it's happening in a safe place. Um, you know, we've kept things pretty simple. You know, Sean has basically said anybody that's on the team as of two years ago is still on the team if they want to be. And, you know, I, I really love Sean's approach to, to team building. He's trying to, to sprinkle a taste for everybody in the community out there so they get a taste of what WTC is and they can go back and, and you know, share it with everybody. And I think one day more and more Americans are really going to want to play for WTC. And I think that's the end of, of Sean's tenure. I think that's what he really wants. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I hope it's going to happen. Um, you know, it's, I'm not going to be surprised if it doesn't. Um, but I think that's just, that's, we're kind of desensitized to hoping for something to happen and not because of COVID at this point in time. Yeah. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing you there. If it does happen, that'd be amazing. Um, it would be amazing. This, this is now officially the longest episode we've done because you're just so great to talk to. I've, I've really got to let you go to your family now. Thank you so much for taking the time, though. I really appreciate it, mate. It's it's lovely to catch up with you. You're, you're billing as one of the nicest guys in the game. You live up to it, and uh, and we appreciate everything you do. I really appreciate your kind words, and I appreciate the heck out of you. So anytime you need to chat, you just give me a call. Thanks to Adam Abramowitz, and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the series, you can get all the interviews we've done at 40kgamechangers.com. Chats with Lawrence Baker, Mini Wargaming Dave, Winters SEO, 40k creator Rick Priestley, among many others. Uh, you can find Adam's Army Painter videos, the tutorials at armypainter.com, along with all of their products. And don't forget to go give 40k Game Changers a like on Facebook as well. Until next time, I'm Steve Jong, and this has been 40k Game Changes.